There are only two reasons people tune into this show. One is that you directly know me and you feel afraid that I may ask you, have you listened to my show recently? Number two is because I promised you refreshments if you listen to the show and you weren't smart enough to think, how is Jet Dunlap going to give me refreshments through a podcast? But those are the only two reasons. This is episode 96 of Psychotherapy. I am your host, Jet Dunlap. Speaking of numbers, my favorite friends, this is my second take at episode 96. Why, you don't ask? Because I had a concept before and it sucked. It was bad. My concept was based on something that I think actually has some merit, actually has some intelligence, and it had a question in it that was worth asking. And people say sometimes the best things are big questions. Talk to intelligent people, it's like they will say the best questions. (laughs) No, they won't say that. They'll say the smartest people ask the best questions, right? They won't just say the best questions. That would be crazy of them. I had a great question, but I had no answer. Or I was just dancing around the answer. If you hear a rake in the background, it's because of Gina. She's raking leaves. And I, as a modern man, am letting her do that. So you get to hear raking in the background. You're welcome. Anyway, this is episode 96 of Psychotherapy, and I am here to correct the errors of my last try at this. So I hope you enjoy it. It comes from my heart, but mostly my mouth. It's going to go in your ears, and that episode starts right now. Now, I can't go outside and tell Gina to stop raking, because I believe in a woman's right to rake. And so I'm not going to be the monster who stands in the way of what she desires to do. She is allowed to rake in 100-degree weather while I sit inside the house with my tiny fluffy dog and talk my thoughts and feelings into a microphone for people who don't listen to this show. Not that people don't listen to this show, but of course this is only for the people who don't listen. So if you're listening, this isn't for you. That actually reminds me of a saying there used to be at a meeting I used to go to for a company that was a heavy recruiting company, and they used to have this saying that said, the most important meeting is the meeting you don't attend which was to say, don't ever miss a meeting. But to me, that always meant that the meeting I showed up to was the least important meeting I ever went to. So by that thought, I could tell someone, oh, well, the episode you never listened to, that was the best episode. In this case, it's not. The best episode is the one you're listening to. So let me digress for a moment and tell you about why I have completely redone this episode. I've been editing the last episode all morning, and I don't like it. I don't like it. Because the stories were so repetitive and the point was so convoluted that I really felt all I'd be doing is giving your poor brain a puzzle that has no answer while you're driving to work. While you're driving to the banco or the biblioteca. And I don't want you to be distracted on your way to the biblioteca. So I will give you the solution to the episode that you never heard. I'll try and go in the order it was in. Because it did have a point. You'll see what I mean in a minute. The episode started out by saying, when I was a lad in the San Fernando Valley, as most people, the most important thing to me in the world, especially guys back then, was getting my driver's license. That was freedom. Before the internet, you didn't know what your friends were doing, saying, or 
anything until you actually went over and saw him. And the phone, first off, your parents had that pretty guarded. Unless you had money, and I had a couple of people on my block who did, you didn't have a second line, okay? So it was very difficult to have any kind of social life if you weren't physically around these people. And of course, dating. You know, you had to have a car to be able to pick up on women if you were a dude in the valley. And everywhere else on earth from my age and backwards to the invention of the car. And it was probably horses before that. And then before that, everyone knows it was dinos or dinosaurs for those of you who don't need the slang. So I needed a car. When I started driving, I noticed a thing. The seed of which came from when I was running. Same thing. When I would drive in neighborhoods I had never been to, I was the Christopher Columbus of my time or for my own universe or for myself. Now, you know, Christopher Columbus is evil because we're looking at him through the guise of today. And maybe he really was. But, you know, he found this place. Am I talking about Columbus again? I'm not. I'm not here to defend Columbus. I'm sorry. I usually slip into Columbus defense, which is not what's going on right now. Here's my point. My universe before my car was as big as I could walk, is as big as my parents could take me. But when you're a kid and you are going with your parents, you have a different set of eyes when you're driving around. You're not really looking at things as a person who needs to be aware. You're just kind of a passenger, right? And some of us experience this in life. Once you start walking on your own, I remember when like I was young and I just go, I'm going to walk three blocks away. And the further you get away from that gravity, this magnet tries to pull you back home and you're like, wow, look at me. I am the Magellan, if that makes you happier, or the Neil Armstrong of my block, boldly going where tons of people had gone before. But because this is your own universe and you had never done it as a incarnated human before, it was exciting. And a car had endless potential. I'm going to get to the point. So stay seated. Don't worry. This is going somewhere. So your world expanded. First, it's your legs. Then I started running. Those are like legs that move faster. I still run. If you haven't done it, just walk fast. Now you're an expert, okay? I had to go outside and tell my wife to rake quieter. And then when I was coming back inside, the dog started honking at me. I think she was just having the hiccups or something. So sorry for that intermission. (laughs) Do, 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 do. Let's go out to the lobby. Intermission during a podcast. That would be very useful. So anyway, I was the... What was I saying? Lance Armstrong. Nope. Lance Armstrong is that drug-taking bicycle guy. Don't get me started on Lance Armstrong. I think that the only side effect of performance-enhancing drugs is excellence, and we all secretly like it. But I'm not Lance Armstrong. I am Neil Armstrong, his father. I was getting further and further away from the gravitational pull of my parents' house, so it was exciting. And I remember looking at other houses, and I'd think, wow, I wonder what they're like. I wonder what they do. I wonder how their life is. Then I got into my car eventually, and I started driving. That's what you do in a car, you moron. Not you, but me, the moron. Me, moron. And the first person I wanted to drive was my girlfriend. I had this incredible girlfriend who I was madly in love with, Sarah, and we started driving places together. And when we'd go on longer trips, whether it was to the beach or to Disneyland the first time, this little notion started to stick in my head that came back to me on Father's Day when I was up in this other trail uh, with my dad, my brother, and Gina, and I was looking around that neighborhood. And it's the same concept of both times, but the first time it really dawned on me was when I was able to get away from my house far enough to see my world expand. And that was, how are there so many houses that are priced out of my and my family's consciousness 
as far as expensive. Put another way, how are there so many houses in a price bracket that no one in my family could ever understand purchasing? That stuck with me. When I was up at this hike on Father's Day and I was looking around at the top of this hill, I don't remember the name of the uh, hike, but we were up near the Santa Monica Mountains. It was on the valley side and everywhere I could look, just like Simba and the other one, the lion, and everything the light touches is uh, yours or something. Great quote, Jet. Every house there was probably three to four million dollars plus. And the first time I noticed it was when I was a 16-year-old driving around the neighborhood. How was it that all of these houses were so much more expensive than my parents' house? And the reason it's so fascinating to me is how can there be so many houses that are over three, four, five million? And that was the notion of the last episode that I erased because I didn't have a solution. And as I go through this episode, you and I are going to explore this concept together. I believe there has to be an invisible force that is providing these people with something we, some of us, are not able to see. Okay? And I'm going to go into that now. I'll take the car example and the feet example, or running example, you run with feet, even higher. When I used to fly around these neighborhoods when I was doing this documentary for the Discovery Channel, I was in a biplane, an open cockpit biplane, and you could look at all these houses in Orange County. Let's start there. How are all those people better than me? Now, we know some of those people, and maybe even a lot of those people, inherited the wealth. So check that box off. I can't inherit wealth. You get rid of inheritance, let's say that's 40 to 50%. Then you still have 50% where it's like, oh, okay, let's say 20% of those are lucky. What do the other people do? Did they all go to better colleges than us? Did they all have better connections than us? I networked like a mofo for probably 15 years of my life. I talked about a podcast before where I gave it a thousand business cards, and that is probably not even as many as I did. What did they do that I didn't? And I think this is the answer. It ends up being something that I don't want it to be, which is the law of attraction. I hate that word. I hate that idea. When you hear that and there's a bad taste in the back of your throat, understand it's the same way for me. I hate that idea because that means I'm doing something wrong. That means that everything in my life is my responsibility. As I say that out loud, by the way, it makes it feel even more true. Because we're not as much of a victim as we'd like to believe. I know that when I was networking, in my own case, I know that when I was hustling, when I was working hard, one of the things that I wasn't able to conquer, and there's never been a book written about it, is how you do that with depression. And that's what I told you I've been trying to do for a while by trying to quit depression, now coming up on a month. And it's been successful. I don't need to tell you it's hard sometimes, but I still have been successfully transparent to that emotion. As I mentioned in previous episodes, it flows through me and I'm able to move on. Sometimes it takes a little longer to go through, like going through a thicker atmosphere, right? It sticks to you a little more, but I've been moving through it. The reason the law of attraction didn't work for me was because I was subconsciously repelling everything. Even when I was my most optimistic, when something good goes on in my life, I'm really preparing for the worst. So that means even when I'm positive, I have an undercurrent of negativity. And the reason I think that is just this simple concept of how are there that many people out there who are that wealthy? If it was one house in your neighborhood, like in old storybooks, right? Like those old Disney books and long before them. It's a bunch of poor villagers and there's a guy up in the tower. He's the king. He gets all the taxes. He makes all the money. 
That makes sense to me. I understand that. There's this consumer base down at the bottom of the hill in the valley, and then the rich guys at the top of the hill. But our hills are full of rich people. You can't find a house in my neighborhood within a 15, 20, 30 mile radius. I know I went up there, but that's actually what it is for under 600000 over the last year. $600,000. How are all those people that wealthy? Throw out the part of your mind that's saying, oh, well, some of them don't have the money. Some of them borrowed the money. Some of them are crooked. Some of them just, you know, are lucky. Throw them out. Can we both agree that at least 60% of them are just people who could afford those houses? What about the ones who can afford $3 million houses? If you do that just for fun, go into Zillow and put 20 miles from your house, put in $3 million and see how many listings come up. How are they better than you? To me, that's the proof that the law of attraction has to be real. And I'm not here to promote the law of attraction. Every time I say it, it makes me mad. <laughs> and that's probably not a good thing for attracting stuff. But if you hate it too, you're in good company. But let's think simply. They can't all be better than us. And we know people, if you're older than 20, you know people who just somehow or another made it happen. My buddy Rich, okay, I won't tell you his last name, but he's a very close friend of mine. I probably talked to him four days a week. He is lucky and he believes in the secret and the power of attraction. He believes in it and I've seen it work through him. He has a, I don't want to go into details because I don't want to out his life, but a very expensive house he owns cash. He had a house before that that happened. I've seen him win Thirteen to twenty thousand dollars at casino. Has he lost some money? Yes, but he's also had wins I've never seen before. He has the most unbelievable luck you've ever seen. Six months before he ended up getting this thing, he told me he was going to. He said, "I'm going to by X date be making well over six figures." And then a job came into his life where he was. So I've seen it. It was my cynicism that stopped that from happening. Again. I don't want that to be true because that places the blame firmly on me. Do you see how I resist it? Even though I do my affirmations every day, even though I do my meditation every day, even though I am taking classes in advanced hypnotherapy, because now I'm a, a hypnosis practitioner, I got my certificate the other day, but I'm in the more advanced class. Even though I understand the power of subconscious, which let's just call the law of attraction that, I'm still cynical. And I'm still mad because of my history. I'm not staying moment focused. I'm saying, because I didn't get everything I wanted in the past, screw that law of attraction. It's junk. It gives good things to bad people. My best example of that, and this is going to blow some people's doors off, and it's going to broil some feathers, as they say. That's why that saying exists. Donald Trump is the greatest example of the law of attraction that ever existed in modern history. He believes he's the greatest thing in the world. He's believed since he was in his 30s, he would be president. He believes everything he says is right. He apologizes for nothing. And no matter what you think of him, and I think you know what I think of him, but I want to retain all the people for these podcasts. I don't want you to start thinking that I'm judging you and I'm not. No matter what you think of this man, everything he thinks comes to him. And if you listen to this in the future and it's time for him to pay the piper or whatever... You know, if something changes and you're like, oh, well, that dismisses that theory. No, it doesn't. The guy's in his mid-70s and he's running on a chain of wins. Don't again get caught up in the politics of it or how you think he ran his businesses. That's irrelevant. I'm talking about the fact 
that he keeps winning. And there's different definitions of that. My point is, he believes firmly in himself to a degree that's insane. But the most insane people I know who have money, and I've, I've known these people, maybe you have, the people who are like, I am indestructible. Every idea I have is great. A lot of them become wildly successful. When someone says, oh, you got to work with that amazing director, that guy who has the Oscars on the wall and has the $100 million movies, and they're like, he's a little weird. I'm like, of course he is. How is he able to hold on to artistic integrity and make that kind of money? He's got to be a little crazy. He believes that what he's doing is better than anyone. That's just another one of those crazy examples. But what about people like us, Jeff? Isn't that what I was about? We're just talking about the $3 million houses. We're not talking about billionaires like Bezos and Trump and Bill Gates and Zuckerberg. We're not talking about them. Zuckerberg's another... Zuckerberg! Tweet, tweet! Zuckerberg is another good example because he's another guy who always believed he was destined for greatness in spite of anything, and it came to him. I think some of it is a frequency, right? This is not my theory necessarily. But it's that you can get into that stream of knowing what's going to come next. By the way, that sound was me drawing out a stream. Can you see it vividly? You can get into that stream and have your subconscious fed by the answers are going to bring you to where you want to be, your eventual destiny, or you can choose to be cynical. I have chosen to be cynical for the 30 years of my life. I've chosen to be outwardly positive sometimes and inwardly positive and then outwardly negative and inwardly positive. I don't know how those guys got mixed up and what I'm really saying, but what I mean is they were always in conflict. So a negative and a positive canceled each other out. This all started from a simple concept when I was a kid walking around the neighborhood and then running and then driving and then flying over these areas and going, they can't all be smarter. I believe they just knew it would happen. Is there an advantage to happy people? Yes. Is it a little bit unfair that there's people out there who are just happy? I've felt that's unfair for a long time. The older I get, the less unfair I feel that is. Is it easy to get trapped into that? Yes. Will it help us get to where we want to get? No. I feel more at home as a cynic and depressed than I do as a guy who's trying to be positive and is sincere. But I have to put it outside me. What do I want more? Do I want to stay where I've been forever and be cynical and look at those houses and wonder why? Or do I want to know that I am this thing that I believe myself to be so firmly that I manifest that future? And here's the best part, guys. You'll know whether or not that happens because you'll be along for the journey. And when, and I believe this to be true, you've heard it in my other shows, when that windfall comes to me, you'll sit there and you'll go, wow, that's pretty impressive. Maybe that can work for me because you knew me before. I just had a relative recently who told me when he was a kid and his parents asked him, what do you want to be when you grew up? He said a millionaire. He, in the last eight months, has made over $2 million in the stock market. And he said, now I'm a millionaire. They've always believed it and it happened. Maybe it could happen for you. Do you know how hard it is for me to say that? I want to make fun of this. I would mock myself if I ended like that. So I'm going to try again. Maybe if you start believing and you look at all those things that you always thought you couldn't have and you flip that switch and you go, maybe I can. I know I can. There's a lot of things in my life that have proven it. I've done things that I never thought were possible. Why don't you go try that before I 
stomp all over this positivity by putting more words out there. I am Jet Dunlap. This was Psychotherapy. And trust me, this was much different than the last version. Thank you for listening. And I'll talk to you next time.